Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It is high! Set it up in Lundberg. Uh Coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage Studios. Need to know what it takes for a home to fit your budget and your family? Rocket can. Um... Yeah, so charismatic. So charismatic. That's, I, I, it would be nice. You know, it's nice to be labeled charismatic. It's a good compliment you could pay to somebody. You walk up, you know what? You're charismatic. I find you very charismatic. In fact, your charisma is just off the charts. Anytime I, you know, if I had a charisma meter, it would be breaking right now because you're just, I, I don't know, I'm sorry. I, it, that's not a bit that needed to be extended. Um, why don't I just get to my NFL picks for the week? Let's do it. First, I'm going to, um, you know, have a bone to pick with the, the San Francisco 49ers. I just want to lean into that a little bit more because I was four and three. I picked seven games last week. I, I got another seven on my sheet right here today. So they're coming up in, in just a second. But the 49ers had minus eight and a half last week and, and five and two, you know, four and three is good, but five and two just is like, that's all. Oh, you're a, a heck of a start to the season, right? Like, Heck of a start to the season. That game was 31 to, um, what was the score? You know, 31 to 10 in the first half, uh, which is more than eight and a half points. The third quarter was a wash, which means it it remained at that distance uh, or that, that margin of score. So what's 31 minus 10? That's 21 points. So they, they, you're, you know, you feel like it's in the bag going into the fourth quarter. But no, the Lions outscored the 49ers by 13 points in the the fourth quarter and win by a half a point, still lose the game by eight. Never had a chance to actually really win the game uh, and only did it to to mess me up. So I'm I'm a little angry with the 49ers for that. Nevertheless, um, you know what? Let's pick against them for that. They deserve it. Eagles plus three. Over 49ers. If I'm picking the NFC East to go to Philly, then I might as well put my money where my mouth is. The Eagles were impressive to me in week one. We had a caller earlier in the show brought up a good point. Like, the Eagles were supposed to be good, right? Like, the last year was a surprise and a disaster of a season. Not like the expectation level for them. The division was a disaster. They looked much sharper, albeit against a bad Atlanta team in week one. But I think they've got the answer at quarterback, which can go a long way. I like the 49ers. The 49ers are a good team. Don't get me wrong. I, I had just got finished saying, you know, they're the one team at least makes sense to me that they would, uh, you know, start with Jimmy Garoppolo because of the, the infrastructure around him, because of the talent around him. 
But the Eagles, with the way they looked in week one on the road in Atlanta, they are at home. And, and you know, the, the 49ers, Jimmy is fine, but he, he's not the kind of quarterback that makes me think that the, the 49ers are just going to overwhelm opponents or blow opponents out, even with a, a talented roster. So give me the Eagles, plus three at home. That's my, my first pick. Let's stick with the Birds, and I'll take the Seahawks, minus six and a half over the Titans. Seahawks, another team that looked pretty good in week one. Obviously, they've been a consistent performing team over the years. Even, you know, a down year for them is is a winning season, just not, you know, a contending season. Uh, they got the, the victory at Indy last week. And this is more about, like, Tennessee. I think Tennessee could be a, a team that's in for a real regression. Uh, they got spanked by the Cardinals in the first week. Derrick Henry came off a 2,000-yard season. 2,000-yard um, seasons are usually met by a fall-off the, the next year. His running style doesn't exactly lend itself to longevity. Um, if he's not doing what, what he's supposed to be doing, then they're not the same team. Going to Seattle, always a tough place to play. Seahawks, minus 6.5 over the Titans. All right, one more bird before I move on to a different sort of mascot. Cardinals, minus four over the Vikings. Like I said before earlier in the show, if my takeaway is going to be that the, the Cardinals are a contending team following the, the five-sack performance from Chandler Jones, the highlight performance from Kyler Murray, then I got to pick with them. And the Vikings, you know, they're middling, right? Like, I feel like that's the best word to describe the Minnesota Vikings at this point in time. That is a middling team, a middling franchise. I, I don't know exactly what direction they're headed in. I don't know where they go from here. I know they lost to the Bengals in week one. Um, so I can think that with relative confidence, they're going to lose to the Cardinals on the road in week two. Rough schedule for them. They got the Cardinals, Seahawks, and Browns the next three weeks do the Minnesota Vikings. So that could go bad fast. That could be... You know, one of those teams that's supposed to be middling, but all of a sudden you look up and they're 0-4. I'll take the Cardinals, minus 4, over the Vikings. Uh, next one, this one stood out to me just because of how many points it was. And it actually, this is like weird logic, but the Steelers minus 6.5 over the Raiders. I'll, I'll take Pittsburgh. I took Pittsburgh last week as well. That Pittsburgh was the most no-brainer pick to me last week. They were getting, I think, 6.5 last week. And the Steelers are just too good year in and year out to get that many points. I mean, that, that almost felt like free money. Yeah, Mike Tomlin's never had a losing season. This one's interesting to me because coming off of the, the win that the Raiders had, you wouldn't expect them to be six-and-a-half-point dogs to a team like Pittsburgh who isn't exactly explosive. It's not like, you know, the Steelers are very good, but they're they're not, you know, one of these teams that, that is lighting up the scoreboard in the sense that you 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 know your your Kansas City's might right or even your Tampa's might, um, especially with Roth Roethlisberger at his stage in his career, so I see a line like that, and it's the kind of, I don't have any data to back this up, but it's the kind of line that makes me believe people are going to jump all over the Raiders, um, because it just seems like it's it's too high, uh, which makes me pick with it, so I I don't know if I'm being too cutesy and I'm outsmarting myself. Like the the guy from the Princess Bride with surely I could not be the glass in front of me or whatever it might be, but I am I'm taking the Steelers minus six and a half over the Raiders. 
I'll go with the Saints minus three over the Panthers. This is just a case of I think the Saints are better. <laughs> you know, um, they're on the road, sure, but they they were displaced last week and looked really good, um, even if it was technically a home game, right? And Jameis Winston, I, I I've been saying again, if I'm gonna say these statements through the course of of this show to make my talk show opinions. Uh, when I'm making my picks, I, I better go with them as well. And, and I think that the, the Saints are a better team with Jameis Winston under center than they were with Drew Brees under center. No disrespect to Drew Brees, who is obviously you know a Hall of Famer and all those things. He was just so banged up towards the end, so little arm strength, that he had no ability to beat you down the field, to, to hurt you in that way. And in this case... They've put somebody in who can do that, not to mention all of what the, the Saints already had in place. So I'm going to take New Orleans minus three over the Panthers. I'm not a Sam, Sam Darnold believer either. I know, yeah, he went back and he beat the Jets and all that. Eh, whatever, I don't care. Uh, I, I, I don't read much into that. I, I just never saw that much talent from Sam Darnold, uh, to be quite honest with you. I'll go with the Rams. Minus three and a half over the Colts. Colts are one of those teams. I know they're getting in-season hard knocks and everything like that, but uh, I, I never quite fully bought into the Colts last year. Maybe I should have. Maybe I made a mistake in that regard. But the Rams, I'm not quite as like, you know, uh, goo-goo-gaga as some people might be about the Rams. I, I feel like... The Matt Stafford story is one of those darlings of the NFL things at the moment. But I do think it was a good move for them. I do think, you know, what the Rams were missing was a quarterback. I mean, go back to the Super Bowl they lost to the Patriots when when Jared Goff was a QB. The fact that they got there with that level of QB play was impressive to me. They've upgraded there. Still Sean McVay in place. Uh, that division, you need to, to get those wins you know, every single week because it's going to be a, a, a tough road to hoe. So I will go with the Rams minus three and a half over the Colts. And finally, I will take the Kansas City Chiefs minus three and a half over the Ravens on Sunday Night Football. Three and a half. I mean, it's the Chiefs, man. Uh, you know, that's nothing for them to you know, beat that number, nothing. Uh, and they've had the, the Ravens number. You know, Lamar Jackson has, has had no success against Patrick Mahomes head-to-head. I mean, I know it's not technically head-to-head, but you know what I mean. And the Chiefs, you know, you give me that number, I'm taking them every time. I don't care who they're playing. The Chiefs minus three and a half, I will take over every team in the league outside of Tampa in the Super Bowl. <laughs> I guess would be the one. One exception, I wouldn't take the, you know, in, in retrospect, I wouldn't take the Chiefs minus three and a half over the, the Bucks in the Super Bowl. But in every other circumstance and situation, I will take the Chiefs minus three and a half over any team. So to recap, that is Eagles plus three over the 49ers. Cardinals minus four over the Vikings. Seahawks. Minus six and a half over the Titans. Steelers, minus six and a half over the Raiders. Saints, minus three 
over the Panthers. Rams minus three and a half over the Colts. And Chiefs minus three and a half over the Ravens. And those are my NFL picks for week two of the season. Let me see if I can keep myself above 500. If I do, I will celebrate and I will proclaim my greatness. If I do not, I will put my head into my hands and sob openly for all to hear. 855-212-4227. We've talked a lot of NFL on the show today. Uh, you still have a chance to get in if you want to be a part of that conversation. Again, the, the telephone number is 855-212-4227. You can also get at me on Twitter, at Robin Lundberg. That's R-O-B-I-N-L-U-N-D-B-E-R-G. It is a Saturday, though, so we will get into a little college football coming up in just a, a few minutes. Before we do that, I do want to remind you today at 3.30 Eastern, 12.30 Pacific, the SEC on CBS features a marquee matchup in the Swamp when number 1 Alabama takes on 13th-ranked Florida. We get you set for kickoff starting at 2.30 Eastern, 11.30 a.m. Pacific with the Mercedes-Benz Drive to Atlanta and catch you up on all the action from around college football on State Farm College Football Today. That's all coming up today on CBS. Alabama reminds me of what I was bringing up earlier in the show, Jalen Hurts and Tua Tagovailoa. I mean, it's it's very interesting to me. You know, they'll always be connected in some way because of what happened, you know, back in, in – in, um, with Alabama, with the the, the Tide, and, and Jalen Hurts losing his job to Tua and Tua going on to win and, and all that and, and being proclaimed like one of the next guys at the NFL level. In fact, the the narrative was kind of tanked for Tua over a bit there, right? And Jalen Hurts goes and, and finds himself at Oklahoma, but even after he did that, there was a lot of question marks about what he would be like as a pro and, and whether he was you know good enough to play at the pro level. Didn't seem to be the, the question with Tua. That's flipped now, right? I, I would have to say there are much more questions about Tua as a starter long-term, his viability as a player in the NFL than there are about Jalen Hurts, which I suppose shows you there's not actually that, you know, other than the guys who are truly, truly just like touched, there aren't that big a difference between some of the you know talent levels of some of these players. And and Jalen Hurts has done everything he can to maximize his. You know that's somebody that deserves a lot of credit because the going got tough. He handled it, even though he wasn't a pro. He handled it like a pro. And on top of that, he allowed it to to only help him grow. And and now you know he's the the, the starting quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles. We'll see. I'm not writing Tua off. Uh, that's not the point I'm trying to make really. Just I see in Alabama, it, it brought that that point of view back up to me. But it, it is interesting t- to see where and how things have shifted. Where you know Tua had to be the guy to take over for Hertz because he was just better, or it, it felt that way at the time. And now, if you're telling me which guy, you know whose stock would I buy, it would be Jalen Hertz over Tua. Eight five five two one two four two two seven. Now that's not technically a, a college football story at the moment, but whether Florida can upset Alabama is. We'll get the answer to that question coming up next. It is the Robin Lundberg Show here on CBS Sports Radio. You're listening to the Robin Lundberg Show. Talking a little college football right now. Talking NFL most of the show. Time to hit the college ranks. It is a Saturday, 
888-346-4227 if you want to weigh in before I'm done. But right now I'm joined by Matt Marshall, National College Football Writer for the Orlando Sentinel. He's in Gainesville for Alabama versus Florida right now. So uh, let's start there, Matt. Um, it seems like an appropriate place to begin. What are the chances that Florida, who I believe is number 11, could upset uh, the top-ranked Bama? Well, I, you know, I think what the chances are that Florida does that I mean, really kind of hinge on whether or not they can contain you know, Alabama's offense. Can they contain Bryce, you know, Bryce Young? And they make him kind of look average. And no one's been able to do that so far this season. And, you know, it, it's a big chore. But if you're going to do it, you're doing it. You're going to do it in front of a sold-out swamp, and, and you've got the home crowd behind you. So um, I, I think they, they've got to play a perfect game, and, and they've got to make sure that, you know, they work well offensively, you know, whether it's going to be Emory Jones or Anthony Richardson at quarterback. You know, this has got to be one of those opportunities for Dan Mullen and his team that, you know, they can make a statement if they can knock off Alabama. Alabama has looked, you know, almost you know, unbeatable the first two games of the season, so it's going to be a, a huge test in front of them. Yeah, I guess if you were to, like, um, just, like, take somebody who'd never heard anything about college football before and you told them the number 11 team was playing the number one team, it, it wouldn't feel like it's, it's that big a, a, a gap, right? But we know, you know, what, what Alabama is and you look at a spread it, it's 14 and a half points. So, I mean, th- that makes it a, a significant upset if Florida were to pull it off. Yeah, very much so. I mean, you know, Alabama has, you know, obviously it's heads and tails above everyone in the SEC at this point. They're heads and tails above most of the country, you know, when you look at, you know, what they've been able to accomplish. And, you know, you're, it, it's got all the makings of, of an unbeatable opponent. You know, Nick Saban at, at, you know, head coach. Saban is almost unbeatable against everyone else. Um, you know, so I, I think the odds are stacked high, you know, against, you know, Florida. But, again, you know, being at home, being in front of 90,000 people, you know, if, if Florida can get a couple breaks here or there, it's not like Alabama hasn't been beaten once or twice, you know, in the last 10 years. You know, there's there's opportunities there, but you know, we, I know it's kind of a broken record to say, but you almost got to play that perfect game, you know, to be able to have an opportunity to beat them. But if they did, it would be it would be a huge way to kind of uh, kind of get Florida maybe on track to find it, maybe get into the college football playoff talk. You know, you you mentioned the crowd there twice, and and uh, you know, of course, it's always been a part of the sport, but it's interesting. It stands out to me a little bit just because of obviously the circumstances were we're all in and, and the season was in a year ago how much of a difference have you noticed in the atmosphere and therefore that impact on the game this year because we've seen more of the you know what we expect to see from from college football when it comes to the stands at least in, in specific places uh, i think it's huge i mean i mean i've spoken with several players who said you know it's 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 night and day compared to what it was last year obviously with limited with limited attendance due to the pandemic you know to say to have a full crowd to have, you know, 60, 70, 80,000 fans, you know, cheering, um, it makes a difference, you know, especially if things are, are not going your way or if you're starting to build some momentum, you know, having that those fans around really can kind of, you know, ignite a, a team to kind of get out there and, and perform. Um, so, you know, last year I don't think there was such a thing as, as a home field advantage. I think this year they're very much so. That's why I think this game, you know, when you look at it, you know, to have, you know, a full stadium, to have fans there, tailgating in front of the stadium to have them going inside and, and have that kind of backdrop. I think that's going to play a huge factor, especially when you need kind of that boost. Let's say, you know, you're, 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 you're making a turnover or something happens and you need someone to kind of light the fire a little bit. Players and coaches alike have said, this is, this has been huge this year. And it's really kind of helped, you know, get them fired up in the, in these games. Now, you know, let's see if they can take advantage of it. Robin Lundberg talking to Matt Marshall, college football writer for the Orlando Sentinel. He's in Gainesville for Alabama 
versus Florida. When you talk about Florida, one name that that is familiar there is, of course, Urban Meyer. USC fires Clay Helton. Urban Meyer's name gets thrown around. I'll believe him in this circumstance because I don't think it makes any sense for USC to hire Urban Meyer from a PR standpoint. Obviously, he just got to Jacksonville. But in in the broader sense, Matt, do you believe that Urban Meyer's name belongs in college football head coaching vacancy rumors at all at this point? No, you know, I, I think it's always going to be there. Listen, I, I mean, same reason that Bob Stoops' name is always some, somehow finds its way into these lists as well. I mean, these two, these two guys have been, you know, not have been a part of college football for a couple of years now. And, you know, I mean, it doesn't matter because the fact they've had success, because the fact that Urban has done what Urban has done, he's always going to find his name attached to any sort of major coach opening in college football. So, um, you know, he can deny and deny all he wants. And I think, you know, it's unfair. This is why I didn't like this move by USC to, to make this move now, because now you spend the next seven months, six months or whatever it is, five months where these coaches have to deny and deny and deny, you know, and, and so urban's going to have to probably, you know, deny this several times over down the road, especially if Jacksonville struggles this year, which they probably more than likely will, you know, on a rebuild under him. So, but yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, if Notre Dame's job were to open up, you know, in next year for some reason or, or a couple of years, his name's always going to be thrown in that mix. So it just happens to be because of what he's been able to do on the, on the field and, and with the programs at Florida and Ohio state, He's always going to have some sort of connection there. So it doesn't matter where he's going to be at. I think they're going to find a way to throw the name, attach his name to any sort of coaching research. While we're, we're talking uh, California big programs, UCLA's 2-0, and Chip Kelly is a guy who was the hot commodity, then sort of became like a laughing stock. Is he back? You know, has, has he figured out what, what worked for him earlier in his career and, and, and recaptured that? Yeah, I think he has. You know, I think I think it takes a little bit of time. I, you know, I, I think because the fact that fans get so enamored with this idea of turning programs around instantaneously, um, I just think they, they it's it's hard to do in today's day and age. I think it's hard to come out and just flip a program within a year or so. And I think because of Chip Kelly's name, because of his maybe his bravado a little bit, and because of what he did at Oregon, I think people thought this was going to be an instantaneous type of fix. And it wasn't going to be that way. I think he needed to come in and get his own players and, and set his own program and set and, and the system he wants to run. And now you're seeing that pay off. You know, I think right now, you know, they've got an opportunity to be one of the best teams in the big, in the Pac-12 right now, but you know, they're going to have a big challenge ahead of them. You know, they got to play Arizona state. They got Oregon down the road as well, Utah, USC. So at some point, you know, he's got to continue to, to ride this momentum and continue to find success. The worst thing that he can do is, you start out good, you're, you're ranked number 13 in the country, and then you stumble, like you stumble this weekend or so, you know, against a Fresno State or stumble against Stanford, a very good team that upset, you know, USC a couple of years last week. You know, I think he has to just kind of make sure he stays focused. They've got a chance to be very good, but he just got to keep pushing forward. Robin Lundberg talking to Matt Marshall, National College football writer for the Orlando Sentinel. He's in Gainesville for Alabama uh, against Florida, not too far from that is georgia south carolina at georgia is there matt a um qb controversy for for the the dogs i mean bennett um uh, filling in for for jt daniels uh last week had a great day no i don't think there is i think i think jt daniels is going to be the guy i just think you know because he was injured and you know they they, they may have to get stetson bennett in there and he's performed well now i think what will be interesting is if he continues to perform well while, while daniels is getting back you know do you upset the cart, so to speak? Do you, you know, if the offense is, is doing really well, 
do you you know replace him and, and go back to the original starter? I think that's going to be something Kirby Smart's going to have to look at. I think Daniels is the guy. I mean, I think at some point, no matter what, unless it's a major injury, you, you're not going to see him not play in this game. But um, at, at some point this season, so. Um, again, this is what Kirby Smart needed. He needs his offense to step up and perform. They've got one of the best defenses in the country. We saw that against Clemson. You know, but you, when you have an offense that kind of goes to go with that, I think that makes you a very dangerous commodity. And I think Georgia right now is a very dangerous team. I think they're a team that could definitely find their way into making things difficult for people in the SEC. If you're looking for someone maybe to make that push to knock off someone like Alabama, it might be Georgia. But they've got, again, much like everyone else in the SEC, they've got a tough road ahead. I mean, they've got Arkansas, they've got Auburn, they've got Florida. So they're going to have some, some difficult tasks down the road. They've got to make sure they get everyone 100% healthy. Some other notable games. Uh, one of them, uh, Nebraska at Oklahoma. Um, uh, is Scott Frost going to be there the whole year? <laughs> That's a good question. I think everyone watching the know if he's going to be I think he will. I, I don't think if they make a move, I think just because of his buyout, I think his buyout is huge. I mean, you know, they, they don't, you know, the school's not going to make a move unless this program just, you know, collapses, you know, unless it gets to the point where, you know, they lose the next, you know, seven or eight games, you know, I, I find that hard to imagine. Now, they showed some, they showed some improvement, which they have the last couple of weeks. Their defense has played well against, again, obviously against some two inferior opponents. Um, you know, I, I think he'll be fine. I think they'll, they'll you know, Trev Alberts will, will try to give him another year and see what they can do. But, you know, the, the hard part about it is there was so much expectation on Scott Frost's shoulders when he got there. I think people, again, we talked about this with Chip Kelly. People thought this was going to be an instantaneous six. It hasn't been that way. The problem is they've just been so uneven. They haven't looked like they've shown very much improvement at times. Um, this is going to be a big test this weekend. I don't think they'll beat Oklahoma, but I think if they stay in this game and they look they look competitive, I think that's a good sign, especially moving forward into the Big Ten, where they got maybe some opportunities to upset some teams. And last one for you, Kent State at number five, Iowa. Um, uh, the Iowa, you know, Hawkeyes are are they a legit threat to to make the the, the college football playoff? I think they are. I mean, and they're doing it with defense, and that's been one of the things that, that stood out to me. An opportunistic defense as well. You know, they've been able to get turnovers. They've been able to to, to really get to the quarterback, force pressure, and, and force them to make mistakes. And and that's something that can help them out. They are a typical Big Ten team in an old school fashion. You know, where they're going to run the football a lot, and they're going to use their defense to kind of keep them in games and, and keep teams down. So they've got an opportunity. Listen. Ohio State losing last weekend was huge. They saw a lot of deficiencies in Ohio State's game right now. I think Iowa right now, to me, is the team we're looking at that can, that can maybe put themselves in that level of, of possibly winning the Big Ten title. Again, they, have to, they can't slip up at some point in this schedule. they got to continue to play hard and see what's happening because they got Penn State out there that's playing well. You know, Michigan State's starting to play well. Um, you know, you look at Wisconsin, so – I was one of those teams that they've got to continue to, to do what they're doing and continue to play defense at the upper level. Matt, uh, appreciate the, the time. Enjoy the game today. He's in Gainesville for Alabama versus Florida. You told me how Florida could upset Alabama, but I'm, I'm assume you're, you're safely picking Alabama to win that game, right? Yeah, I, I think, you know, when you look at what Alabama's done over the last couple of years, I mean, it's, it's hard to say, you know, Alabama's going to lose this game. And Bryce Young has played at that elite level. I think to beat Alabama – you almost need to have to play in the you know like I said an elite level. Um, Clemson's done it a couple times, obviously, and, and they do that. So I, I need to see more out of Florida before I'm ready to believe that they can do that. Well, I, I enjoy it. See, uh, well, you'll you'll get a firsthand look of whether they're they're <laughs> capable of it. Thanks for the time. All right, thanks a lot. Take care. You're listening to the Robin Lundberg Show. Yep, you could do that, but if you were to listen to it up until this point. 
in the program. What I'm about to talk about, you would not have missed. Because what I'm about to talk about, I have not covered as of yet. Because what I'm about to talk about is everything I have not as of yet in another one. What's up first, Anthony? All right. You love the NBA. I love the NBA. So let's talk some NBA, shall we? So uh, Donovan Mitchell, who, of course, plays for the Utah Jazz, for those who don't know, he believes that if his team had been healthy during this past season, the Jazz would have captured the NBA title. So Mitchell said this to The Athletic. I think last year it definitely was shaky. There were just so many different obstacles with the ankle and whatnot. But like I said, no slight to Phoenix or Milwaukee or the Clippers, you know. But I feel like if we were healthy, you know, we we get to the finals. I feel like we would win. But, you know, it's all easy when you say ifs, ends, or buts. It's easy to say that. So, Robin, if fully healthy, do you think the Utah Jazz would have been world champions? Look, uh, uh, of course they would have had a better chance, uh, just like any team that is injured. And the thing that helps his case there is that the West was so wide open last year. But are we now playing the fully healthy game for every other team? Because if fully healthy, the Brooklyn Nets would have won the NBA championship. And if fully healthy, the Los Angeles Lakers very well may have, you know, been the the team that eliminated the Jazz or represented the West instead of Phoenix. So it's it's a hard game to play. I understand Mitchell's frustrations, particularly because he was injured, and that the Jazz, you know, uh, don't necessarily get the respect he probably feels they deserve and all that. But that's a game you could play with a lot of teams. And the Jazz, if we're playing the if fully healthy game, aren't the first team that I think does better than they did. That starts with the Brooklyn Nets. Um, Utah, I'm sorry, they still have to prove it to me before I, I would say anything definitive about that what they would have done because they have, you know, played well in the regular season. They obviously had the best record, I think, in the league last year um, and haven't always, you know, done the same in the playoffs. The playoffs are, are a different game. I, I get what Mitchell's trying to say. Um, I don't have a problem with him thinking that. But I also wouldn't go as far as he did. Part of the reason, though, that the NBA resulted the way it did, Milwaukee winning, uh, Milwaukee facing Phoenix in the finals, is that there were a lot of injuries. And it was sort of um, you know, an, an attrition championship. It, it, you know, When you look back historically, it's going to be one of those championships, not that you discredit, but that you go, oh, yeah, that happened that year. You know, And, and Milwaukee got some opportunity they took advantage of it now look Giannis got hurt too I mean luckily he's a beast and was able to to get through it and play to the level he did but uh, they were almost unlucky so it it wasn't as if um, Utah was alone with injuries what's next Aaron Gordon and the Nuggets they agree to a four-year 92 million dollar contract extension this week Nikola Jokic eligible for a supermax extension at the end of this season he's in line for a 241 million dollar payday Jamal Murray has four years and 131 million dollars left on his rookie max and Michael Porter Jr is currently eligible for a rookie max extension so a whole lot of money 
uh, will be tied up in these four individuals. So did the Nuggets make the right decision in locking up Aaron Gordon this week? Yes. Uh, look, again, it's like, what are the other options when you get to a point like that? They made a trade for Aaron Gordon, who played well for them, and who is in a better situation when he's not thought of as the guy or even necessarily the second guy. Getting Jamal Murray back healthy will be the key because that's a, a second creator for them that they, they really lacked at the end of, of last season. It was all Jokic all the time. But Gordon was a nice pickup for them. You know, Denver hasn't – the Nuggets haven't exactly been a preeminent free agent destination. They're obviously too good – to you know, improve through the draft. How else were they going to improve? Well, they made a move. They brought him in. They're just going to let him walk after that. That doesn't make much sense. And NBA players get paid. That's just the reality of the situation, right? Like it's not as if his contract. It, it might seem like a lot for him in a vacuum, but it, it's not a lot for him in the context of the other contracts that have been handed out. So yes, I think Denver made the right move, and I think a fully healthy Denver team next season is one of the top two or three teams that would come out of the West. In fact, I'd pick them over. We were just talking about Utah. I'd take Denver uh, fully healthy over Utah. What's next? Tom Brady was asked about playing until age 50 during an episode of the Tommy and Gronky show, and he seemed open to the idea. I don't find it so difficult, Brady said. Plus, in Florida, it's kind of a retiree state, so I feel like I can play and then just glide into retirement. I think I can. I think it's a yes. Robin, are we going to get another six years of Brady? Is he going to play? Yes or no, until he's 50 years old? I, uh, darn close. I mean, what do we have? What evidence do we have that points to otherwise right now? Honestly, like what can you look at and say, oh, yeah, yeah, there's no reason to believe he can't play another three, four, five years, whatever the case may be. So is it 48? Is it 50? I, I, you know, there, there's nothing. The guy looked better than ever in the season opener. So in, if you had asked me this question two years ago, I would have said hell no. Uh, maybe even if you asked me this question a year ago, I would have said hell no. But the guy keeps getting older and keeps refusing to fall off or decline. And in some ways, it looks better now than he did a couple of years back. So uh, the way he plays, again, he's almost like a, you know, one of those aging pitchers in a sense that it's not like he's um, relying on his mobility, right? His mobility is his awareness and presence in the pocket, his, his ability to take small steps and move in the pocket. And his greatest trait, I think what makes Tom Brady who Tom Brady is more than anything else, is his decisiveness. He determines what he's going to do, and he does it quickly. He processes things, makes a decision, and acts on it quickly. Now, the way he acts on it is also accurate, which is huge. But I think that is what has allowed him to play at a later age, not have his age affect his game too much because he's bang, bang, and he's on schedule. He's on script. Um, and considering the talent level that's around him in ta Tampa, the way he looks physically and the evidence in front of us, there's just really no reason for me to believe he, he can't do that. What's next? All right. Not everyone is ready to hand the AL MVP over to Shohei Otani. Some people casting their vote for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. of the Blue Jays, who 
could be just the second Triple Crown winner since 1967 and lead the Jays to the postseason. Otani, of course, could be among the league leaders in home runs and has a 9-2 record with a 3.36 ERA as a pitcher. He has a sore arm, but he will pitch on Sunday after throwing a bullpen session. So who has your vote for AL MVP? Is it Otani or Vladimir Guerrero Jr.? I mean, Otani arguably has had the best season anyone's ever had. So uh, I, I'm going Otani. It's a testament. It's a testament to um, Guerrero that this is a conversation that you can even say something. You can even say, oh, yeah, yeah, this, you know, somebody else belongs in the conversation with Otani. Otani, you know, wins above replacement is a more than a point ahead of Vlad. Um, but it's a testament to the kind of season he's having. But as great as the Triple Crown may be, there's a little bit of an arbitrary nature to the Triple Crown in a sense. And, and you know, it's like a triple-double. We decide that these are the things that matter more than stats that have come along since or what what have you. And there's a precedent to that, even if it's rare. There is no precedent, really, to what Shohei Hodani has done this year, hitting the way he's hit and pitching the way he's pitched. I mean, he, he's if he had pitched more innings, he'd be in the Cy Young kind of race. Uh, he, he isn't, obviously, but he's still been a damn good starting pitcher and, you know, a, a damn good hitter. Uh, and we've never seen anything really like that to that degree. So even if he slowed down a little bit, I, I don't hold the postseason thing against him just because it's baseball, and that's not kind of the way that that sport works, or else, you know, we shouldn't have been calling Mike Trout the best player in baseball for however many years he's been dubbed that. But that takes nothing away from Vlad, who, who's had a um, a remarkable season in his own right. The fact that it's even a conversation when you have somebody doing something like Otani's doing, which we've never seen before, is is a compliment enough. What's next? All right, and finally, Marvel fans, the Hawkeye trailer dropped this week. Uh, Of course, the show debuts on Disney Plus November 24th, which is a Wednesday. Jeremy Renner, of course, the great Heli Steinfeld as Kay Bishop is involved. What did you think of the trailer, Robin? The trailer's good. I'm not that interested in Hawkeye as a character, right? Like uh, um, adding new characters, tying it into everything else. Will will bring up the interest. This is one of the reasons the Disney Plus stuff works because you can do lower scale things there and make them work. Because you know, I don't know if a Hawkeye movie would be up my alley. I mean, uh, but uh, it looks good. Looks I like, like you know, quality. it was a it was a light tone. Of course, it's only a trailer, yeah. so we'll see when the actual show gets on the air. But you know, usually like with Hawkeye, it's been like dark. Uh, but mm-hmm. the, the tone of the trailer was very light, set like during Christmas time, the holiday season. I thought uh, Jeremy Renner and Haley Steinfeld, they had, it seemed like they had, had uh, very good chemistry with each other. So uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean, look, I watch all that stuff. I, yeah. I just, you know, I have to, it, you know, it really varies on how much I care about the character to, to my level of excitement, right? Uh, but yeah, I, I watch all of it. And I, I think they're leaning into the Christmas thing to try and get that, you know, sort of boost. And it seems like, you know, part well. maybe like uh, Buddy Cop and uh, Spy kind of uh, element to it as well. So it'll be interesting. Yeah, making it more ensemble is better because the, the you know, as you mentioned, the, the Renner Hawkeye character can be a little brooding. Uh, on his own, not to mention he just like sort of fires bows and arrows, so you got to spice it up 
a little bit. Uh, that'll do it for me here today on the Robin Lundberg Show, 6 to 10 a.m. Eastern here on CBS Sports Radio. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. BetQL is coming up next. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.